0: Well, welcome to Mansfield Bible Church. We're glad that you're here with us this morning. We're continuing our series in the book of Galatians. Uh, it was a series that we've titled Breaking Free. Breaking free from the bondage that holds us. Breaking free from the sin which entangles us. Breaking free so that we can live in freedom in Christ. And so this is an incredible book, a powerful book on that. And one of the things where it's really strong, one of the areas where it really hits strongly is the issue of law and grace. And that's important for us to understand as we head into chapter 4 this morning. And so I want us to think about those two issues of law and grace. He uses those terms quite a bit, starting in in chapter 3 and going on uh, further uh, throughout the rest of the book. When you look at this idea of law and grace and you compare the two, you realize that he has a lot to say. In fact, one of the things that he says is he says at the beginning of the chapter in verse 2, did you receive the Spirit by observing the law or believing what you heard? So was it by the law or was it by grace? Well, it was by faith, right? It was by believing. And what did we receive when we believed? The Spirit of God. So here, under grace, we have the Spirit and we have faith. And the law, we do not have in either one of these. No faith, no Spirit. Faith's not necessary when you have the law. You just fulfill the law. In fact, he says that later in the chapter. In uh, verse 10 and 11, he says, All who are relying on observing the law are under a curse. Oh, that's great. So under a curse. What we all want and dearly love, right? Cursed is everyone who does not continue to do everything written in the book. Cursed if we don't do everything. Notice that. Underline that. Everything. Not missing in one thing. When you look at the law, I'm amazed at the person that talked to Jesus and Jesus said, "Uh, uh, are you... Uh, uh, he says, How can I be saved? He says, By keeping everything in the law. And he says, I'd done that from my youth up. I think, Wow, what arrogance, right? But then we all do that. We think, Oh, basically, if we, uh, when I was, uh, before I was a believer, if I would have said, uh, uh, and I believed that if I was a good enough person, I would go to heaven. And we all draw the line on that right below us, right? <laughs> It's all those worse people than me, I'm going to probably make it in, but not those other folks, right? Not those people I'm angry at, not those people that have hurt me, and all of a sudden you find yourself making a determination, but it's not that I can, I'm missing a few things, but I got most things, no, everything, everything. He says, Cursed is everyone who does not do everything written in the book of the law. Clearly, no one is justified uh, before God by the law. So justification happens by what? Here. Justified. Which means declare not guilty. That's what justification means. It means declared not guilty. Doesn't be made not guilty. I'm still maybe guilty. I stand before the Father, guilty as charged. And then he takes his gavel, and because he sees Christ and Christ has paid my penalty, he goes, boom, hits the gavel, not guilty. And I'm, I'm like, I am guilty. Yes, but you're declared not guilty because of what Christ did for you. Justified. Because the righteous will live by faith. And so it's this issue of faith. The law is not based on faith. On the contrary, the man who does these things will live by them. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. So he takes away the curse. Curse removed. Curse removed. So under the law, I have the curse, unless I do everything and I fall short. That's what sin is. In fact, the the whole idea of sin is to miss the mark. It's like an archer who's going to shoot an arrow at a target, and he misses the mark. He doesn't hit the target, or he doesn't hit the bullseye. He misses the mark. He's not quite there. He's close, but not enough. And so sin is when I miss the mark. I miss the mark when I don't do everything. And when I don't do everything, I come under the curse of the law, which means I'm condemned by the law, which means that I also have to face the consequences of the law, which is eternal death. But Christ removes the curse when he died upon the cross. And he justifies, he declares not guilty those who put their faith in him. Because it's a faith system. He goes on and talks about the whole idea in chapter 3 of uh, the, the promise. He talks about the contrast between law and promise. And he says, uh, the law introduced 430 years later does not set aside the covenant previously established by God. And thus do away with the promise. For the inheritance depends on law. So he's talking about our inheritance. What is that inheritance? Eternal life. What is that inheritance? Becoming a child of God like we just sang about. If the inheritance depends on the law, then it no longer depends on a promise, but God, in His grace, the idea of grace, gave it. That's what grace is giving to us, to Abraham, through a promise. And so grace is based on a promise. And that promise for us, that promise for people of all generations, is when we put our faith in the Messiah, we put our faith in the Christ, when we put our faith in Jesus, we are declared not guilty. Wow. And then he says, uh, in verse 23, and I know I'm jumping through the chapter, but I want you to see this idea of law and grace throughout this chapter. He says, But before this faith came, we were held prisoners by the law, locked up until faith should be revealed. So the law was put in charge to lead us to Christ. And so he's saying, whenever we talk about law, we talk about prisoners, Or it's a tutor to bring us to Christ. This idea of this tutor to bring us to Christ is exactly what we see happening in John chapter 8. When the woman caught in adultery is brought before Jesus and they, they, they bring up the law, right? They say, the law of Moses says... This should be penalized by stoning to death. So they're bringing up the law. What's Jesus' response when they're talking about condemnation, the condemnation, the curse of the law, that she should be, uh, face the consequences? He goes, okay, let me ask you a question. Which of you is without sin? Those of you without sin, you cast the first stone. Well, nobody Everybody walks away. Everyone admits they have sin in their life. Every single one. There's not a single person sticking around. And so then Jesus looks at the woman and says, where are your accusers? And they said, they're not here anymore. And he says, neither do I condemn you. Condemnation goes away. Condemnation goes away. I know I misspelled it. When you take your picture, you'll go, what? What is that? I can't talk and spell at the same time. Which one do you want me to do, right? <laughs> Condemnation, no more. But under law, condemned. Right? Right? And so you look at this, and what they did is inadvertently, they had the law and they brought the woman to Christ, the tutor, to bring us to Christ to get his his understanding. And his understanding was if you're you're trusting in this, you're trusting in the wrong thing. You need grace. You need to live by grace, not by law. Grace restores us. Grace removes the condemnation. Grace delivers us from the power of sin because we have the Spirit of God living within us, helping us with the power to to live beyond ourselves in ways that we could never live before. We're not living based on ourselves. We're living based on Him. So why is it that we find ourselves wanting to go back to law? In fact, that's what's happening with them. Notice what He says. He says in verse 8, formerly, of chapter uh, chapter 4, verse 8, formerly when you did not know God, you were slaves of those who by nature are not gods. But now that you know God, or rather are known by him, how is it that you're turning back to those weak and miserable principles? So they were tempted to go back. They were tempted, they, they were living by grace, and they were tempted to go back to law. I used to have a Chevette. And it had a hole that was, it started out a crunch. It was just a crunch when I stepped in to my car. I felt this, right? Hmm, that's not a good sound. Cars aren't supposed to crunch when you step in them. Either it's because you got a potato chip in there or because the metal is getting weaker. And I didn't know what to do, so not knowing what to do, I did nothing, well, guess what happened? It kept continued to crunch, and pretty soon there was a little hole that developed. And pretty soon, one day I was driving down the road, and the little piece of carpet square that was still there went... <laughs> 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 and I had a hole this big in the floorboard. It's like a Flintstone car, right? And I kind of drove like this. And I drove real slowly over water puddles... And I kept thinking, I probably should do something about this, right? (laughs) You know, a wise person would have figured it out quite a bit sooner. And I I finally started looking into What do I need to do to fix this thing? And then I fixed it, and I bought a pickup. And you know what? I never wanted to go back to that Chevette. I never had the, the craving desire to start driving that Chevette again. I sold it. It was gone. And I was glad for the day it left. You got the chevette and you got the pickup. Which one are you going to drive? Which one are you going to live your Christian life by? We tend to Why would we ever go back to this? Have you ever thought about that? Why would somebody want to go back to law whenever we have grace? As I was thinking about it this week, I thought, I like law because it's something that I feel like that I can control. It depends on me. That's why I like law. Because law, I can achieve. I can be successful. It makes me feel good about myself. Okay? That's law. Why I would go back to it. What does grace do? I have to remind my... It depends on God himself. I don't have control. He has control. It's not based on my achievement and my success. It's based on my failure. It's based on my sin. I have to be reminded of that. I have to admit that. I have to admit that I'm a sinner. That I come up short. And so I don't feel so good about myself. That's why law is so attractive. And yet, all that law can do, law is like, as we talked about before, it's like the x ray machine. It, di- it, it reveals the break, but it can't do anything about it. Grace is the doctor, grace cures, law only reveals. And so when you, when you look at this, you think, why would you ever go back? Well, there's some reasons why somebody might be tempted to go back. But ultimately, they fail. Because ultimately, we can't do everything. And so we shouldn't look back on a time in our lives and say, I want to go back to that. I want to go back to that time in my life when I didn't have God and I didn't have these things. They don't, they're not as good as times as you Remember? In fact, in Ecclesiastes, it says, Do not say that the former times were better than these. It is not from wisdom that you say this. I had a time in my Christian life where my second year after coming to Christ, that I went back to the former times, thinking that those might have been better. The sacrifices that sometimes that you make in the Christian life the, the, uh, seem like too much. And so I, I, I went back to those old ways and I found myself realizing those were not satisfying going back to that way of life for about a year was not satisfying and i ultimately craved the one who changed my life but we have pressure on our lives to go back and you'll see that in the passage he goes on as he says you did not know god that was a time when you did not know god a time when i did not know god he says you were slaves to those who by nature are not gods we're slaves to those things in our lives we're slaves to our habits. We're slaves to 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 sin. We're slaves to uh, so many different things. And he says, and you know who are not God's little G. He says, but now you know God, or rather, are known by God. He's doing a little play on words here with the word no. In the first time that he uses the word no, in fact, in our in our. English versions, we just have the word no, so we w- wouldn't know that there's a, a word play here. In the Greek, there's two different words that are being used. The first one that's used in formerly when you did not know God is the, is the word for intellectual knowledge, academic knowledge, Academic knowledge is, I can tell you all about God. I, I grew up in a, in a church where we learned the Apostles' Creed, where we learned the Nicene Creed, where we learned the Lord's Prayer. And I could, I could rattle off all this stuff to you and I could tell you about what God was like. And yet I saw him as holy other. I saw him as something, someone to be feared, someone to be afraid of, someone to, to uh, give honor and reverence to and to, to give lip service to and then kind of live my life however I wanted to live it. That's that first type of knowing God. In verse 9 he says, but now that you know God. And so he's saying... You knew God intellectually, now that you know God experientially is the idea of the word know in the Greek language for this one. Now that you know God or are known by him, it was that idea that drew me to Christ. It was that idea that began to to play in my head when I began to try to understand what does it mean when this person said to me, do you have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ? I had no idea what that meant. And it's that idea of this relationship with him, of this idea of relational knowledge. You spend time with someone. I can tell you a lot about Dabo Sweeney, the coach of uh, the uh, Clemson Tigers. But I don't know him. I can give you statistics about him. I can look him up and and Google him and, and tell you all this stuff about him. But I can't walk up to him and say, hey, Dabo, good to see you. I would be on my face on the floor with a couple of officers on top of me, right? (laughs) Because I don't know him. But there are people in his life that do. There are are people that were his Sunday school teachers and and others that probably could walk right up to him. And the security guards would start to hold him back. And he goes, no, no, wait. Let him come through." I know that person. God wants us to know him. He doesn't want us just to intellectually know him, academically know him, be able to pass a test about what's God, who is God, what's he like. But actually know him, to live with him, to walk through life with him. And Paul's saying, that's what, You've had, you gave up the other and you are known now that now, and he still says now, even though they're falling away, he says, now that you know God or rather known by him, how are you turning back? How are you going back to the Shabbat of the Christian life? Those weak and miserable principles. Do you wish to be enslaved by them all over again? Verse 10, you're observing special days and months and seasons and years, all the Jewish calendar. The Sabbaths, the years of Jubilee, the Yom Kippur's, the fast and the feasts. Uh, uh, they're, they're doing all those things again. The monthly celebrations of the new moon and, and, and all of that. He says, I fear for you that somehow I've wasted my efforts on you. I helped you to see who God was. And you embraced him and now you're going back. And, it's, and, and what going back, you're, you're missing out on exactly what God has for you? It's like, I want to live the Christian life on my own for what I can accomplish with a lim- as a limited, finite being, or do I want the infinite God to be involved and engaged in my life? And Well, I mean, this is obviously superior. And so he says, I plead with you, brothers. I plead with you, become like me, for I became like you. How did he become like them? Well, he talks about in 1 Corinthians 9, he became all things to all men so that by all means he may save some. He became to the Jew. He became a Jew to the Greek like a Greek. He entered into their world. He entered into their reality. He entered into the things that they're, they're thinking about. And as he entered into that world, he began to minister to them. And they came to a saving knowledge of God. A saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. They they came and they became like him. And now he's pleading with them again, don't give that up. I became like you for a reason. I, I, I became like you. I entered into your world and entered the realities and we talked and had great discussions. Remember, don't forget how you came to the Lord. Don't forget how the Lord drew you to himself because it's so easy to forget. And so he begins to spell out how they came to the Lord. He says, you've done me no wrong. As you know, it's because of an illness that I first preached the gospel to you. Now, we, don't, we, we see that he's saying that. We don't have anywhere else that we can go and say, oh, this is what was going on. There was some uh, uh, Many students of this passage have tried to wrestle with, well, what was going on here? Did he have an eye issue? In fact, you see that later in this passage. He says, even though my illness was a trial to you, you, did not treat me with contempt or scorn. Instead, you welcomed me as if I were an angel of God, as if I were Christ Jesus himself. What has happened to all your joy? I can testify that you could have done, if you could have done so, you would have torn out your eyes and given them to me. So there must have been something going on with his eyes, or at least it seems to say that. Some have conjectured that maybe he had malaria because he had a lot of coastal ministry and along, along the coast there were a lot of malarial swamps with a lot of mosquitoes and, 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 it, and it could have been something along that order. We know that in 1 Corinthians, he talks about a thorn in the flesh, that he had this thorn in the flesh that he asked the Lord three times that he would take it away from him and God says, my grace is sufficient for you. There are some things in our lives that God won't take away. So that we'll always understand our need for dependence upon Him. And that's a reminder of that. And yet it's also not just a reminder. It's also so that we can see the demonstration of His power and glory in times of difficulty. And we all face those difficulties. You may be facing some even right now. And I would imagine that many of you are. Facing difficulties in family. Facing difficulties at work. Facing difficulties in relationships facing difficulties in just life itself with so many different issues. And in Paul's case, he was facing an illness. And you think, couldn't God have taken this away from him? I mean, after all, this was God's servant. He's writing scripture for crying out loud. Couldn't he at least be able to see the scripture he's writing? He most likely had what's called an amanuensis or a scribe who who wrote down his words because he couldn't see. And you think, Lord, why did you make it difficult for him to do the very thing that you're asking him to do? Well, he tells us it was because, because, underline that word, because of this illness that I first preached the gospel to you. God used the illness as the occasion for him preaching the gospel to the Galatian believers. Now we don't know if there was a doctor in the area that he went to for specialized care that lived in Galatia and that's his reason for going to Galatia. We don't know if this delayed his trip and so he ended up in Galatia for some other reason related to that. But he says it's because of the illness. Reminds me of Romans 8, 28. For God causes all things to work together for good to those who love him, to those who are called according to his purpose. So God used this illness, this eye problem, to cause him to go to the Galatians. Because he went to them, they came to Christ. Because they came to Christ, he later writes a letter to them that ministers to you and me. And so because of this illness that God works together for good, you and I are blessed to have the book of Galatians, which lays out clearly for us the idea of law and grace and why some people might go back. So we are all blessed by Paul's suffering. God doesn't waste his suffering. The sufferings that you face is not wasted, but meaningful. Because God exists, because Christ is alive. If Christ weren't alive, suffering would it just be suffering, right? But because Christ is alive, it's not just suffering. There is a meaning and a purpose to our suffering. And God uses it, doesn't waste it. So that we can impact others around us. 2 Corinthians chapter 1. Talks about God being the God of all comfort. And he comforts us in all our afflictions. So that we can comfort those who are in any way afflicted like we have been. So my comfort that I get from God because of my suffering. Is for the purpose and the sake of your benefit. And yours for my benefit. And for each other's benefit. That's the purpose that we go through it. And so when I go through a difficulty. Instead of going, oh, I'm going through this horrible thing. I need to be thinking, okay, God, who do you want me to begin to minister to? There's somebody that you're opening up my opportunity for ministry in somebody else's life. You're opening the door. Whenever I still had my parents around, I didn't understand the suffering of those who lose their parents. When I lost my dad, I understood what it was like to lose a dad and I began to find people that had lost a dad coming and speaking to me. It was when I lost my mom, in fact, today is the third anniversary of her death. And I'm so thankful for her. But I grieve differently for my mom than for my dad. And I was able to increase the opportunity that I'm able to minister to those who go through that. When we face the difficulties of life, God tenderizes our heart so that we can begin to minister in a whole new way the comfort of God in the lives of those who are suffering. It's not meaningless. It's chock full of meaning. As we receive His comfort, They would have torn out of their eyes to be able to minister to him. They would have done anything, and and it was because of this illness that God used in their lives. Well, he goes on and he says, those people. Now, who are those people, verse 17? Those people are zealous to win you over, but for no good. Those who are are most likely the Judaizers. Those those people are most likely those who are saying, hey, come back to the Shavet. You'll love it. You don't need that old pickup. You need the Chevette. And it looks attractive. You're in control. You have achievement and success. It can be great. And we're tempted to go back. Why? What what do they do? What tactic do they use? He says what they want is to alienate you from us. You need to be aware of those people who try to isolate you in your life. That try to pull you back, to isolate you away. Because they're isolating you away from something. If it's parents trying to isolate it, that's one thing. That's good. But when it's people around us in our life that are trying to isolate us from that which is good, that which is true, that which is right. We need to be aware. We need need to perk up at those moments. I've fallen into that trap before where people have isolated and made me begin to think about certain things and see things from a certain perspective. And then all of a sudden, I I woke up one day and realized, wait a minute, what's happened here? I've been been drawn away into their way of thinking. It happens in clicks. Oh, don't associate with that person. They're, They're no good, right? And all of a sudden we find ourselves, oh yeah, we don't we don't like that person. Happens in as students, doesn't it? It happens with adults too. As adults, we kind of hang out together and we exclude people, and so we begin to isolate ourselves and we begin to think the same. And we stop including, we stop reaching out. It's one of the reasons why God says to reach out, make disciples. And we tend to not do that. We tend to just stay within, stay within ourselves. God says to reach out and to those in need, and we tend to want to just kind of play back, hold back. God wants us to get involved in community. We want to stay by ourselves. I can tell you something that really isolates us more than anything. Technology. We can get so isolated like this and you're looking at yours, and I'm looking at mine, and and we're isolated from one another, we can be sitting right in the same room right next to each other, texting each other probably. (laughs) But we're isolated, and we're we're taking in everything because everything's true on the internet, right? (laughs) Don't believe it. And so we find ourselves in a world that constantly is trying to isolate it's comfortable to isolate to turn on the tv we all of a sudden isolate ourselves and it's just an experience we have parallel to the people around us and that's okay as long as we take it the next step when i watch a movie i like to go get coffee afterwards and discuss the movie what did you think what were the main characters you know likes and dislikes and what were your likes who which character did you like best what do you think the main idea? What do you, and, and you begin, to, it's such, so much fun to interact. It's so much fun to interact on a spiritual level about God's word and things that you're learning through it and things that you may hear in a sermon or that you got from your daily time with the Lord or whatever it is, and you find yourselves Growing in that regard with one another, you begin to build into each other's lives, and it's no you're moving away from isolation and toward community, which is after all why God created the church. Notice that he says, alienating you from doesn't say me, alienating you from us, from the community of believers. You see, God created the church. We sang that second song. I get emotional with that song every time because uh, I made the mistake, I say that in tongue in cheek, made the mistake of, of us singing it together at my mom's funeral. And so, because I thought that was just what a better place to, to state your faith. It's one of the reasons why I raised my hand to that song. I want to know, I, I want everyone to know, I believe in these things. It's almost like I'm raising my hand, not in, in, in pointing toward God, but saying, I believe. I believe these things. I believe in God the Father. I believe in Christ the Son. I believe in the Holy Spirit. And in fact, that's why I'm here today with hope is because I I believe those things. And we say, I believe in God's church, right? We say, I believe in the church, and yet people are moving away from the church, right? We see that happening in our culture. Church attendance is on an all-time low and it's moving down. And by 2050, I think they're thinking that that it's going to be significantly diminished, the attendance of church. And it's already in that mode. What is the deal about the church? Why are people moving away from the church? Well, I, I can tell you it's kind of like why people are moving away from Sears and Toys R Us and they moved away from Blockbuster and everything else it's because I can get the best preaching of our day online podcasts I can hear Matt Chandler I can hear any number of great speakers I I can get better music than than what we can produce on this thing right it's all mastered and ready to go no it's perfectly flawless I can I can get Community by having a few people over in my home, I can get uh, uh, reach out and and uh, uh, minister broadly by buying Tom's shoes or buying uh, by going to the Mansfield Mission Center. I can I can do all sorts of things in that regard. Um, by and so you think why the church? Because God created it. God created the church. It's here that God intends for us to be. He intends for us to be gathered, and yet we tend to want to isolate. And God's saying, no, I want you to gather. I want you to gather in one body. I want you to in one body worshiping me. I want you together in one body trusting me. And we think, yeah, but I've been hurt by the church. Who hasn't been hurt by the church? I've, almost everybody could raise their hand, right? So what's the purpose of the church? It's not to have this perfect experience. It's so that imperfect people coming together, worshiping God, and we look around and, and, and we see all these people with different gifts and different strengths, and we're benefited by that. I believe in the church because God caused it to be, because God created it. And I don't want anything to alienate me from the body of believers. What they want is to alienate you, to isolate you from us so that you may be zealous for them. It is fine to be zealous, provided the purpose is good, and to be so always and not just when I am with you. And then he says, My dear children, for whom I am in again in the pains of childbirth until Christ is formed in you. So when I'm in community, what's the purpose of that? It's so that Christ will be formed in us. So that I'm investing in your life and you're investing in my life. That as you... Uh, invest in my life, I become more and more like Jesus Christ. As I invest in your life, you become more and more like Jesus Christ, and together we grow in Christ. Now, it's important to, to understand that in our culture and in our society today, people are thinking differently about this concept of being like Christ. There's this idea of a Christ consciousness. It's been around for a long time, but it's gaining popularity again. This idea of Christ consciousness is, is really a pantheistic idea. It's an Eastern religion idea because it's this idea that I, am, I become self-realized. I begin to realize that I am like Christ and that I'm going to become more and more like him as I realize my deity and my divinity within and so that I become like Christ in that sense. And that's not what, the way Paul's talking about it because that sense of being like Christ is all based on me. That I'm doing all the work. It's back to a work salvation which is the law. Which it doesn't suffice. It doesn't measure up. It's a limited finite being trying to be like the infinite. It's me trying to be God. What Paul's talking about. Is God doing the work. And that the infinite is pouring into the finite. What I can handle. And that he's living in and through and, 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 and through me, in a way that the world begins to see God, the true God. One is, in a sense, having a fake Christ inside, and the other is the reality. And Paul's saying, I want Christ to be formed in you. In fact, I'm laboring so that it can be done. It's one of the reasons why I feel like that he's saying that we need to labor in one another's lives Matthew 28 says the same thing, make disciples of all the nations, that we're investing in one another so that we become like Christ. And it moves us away from isolation because it moves us toward community because you can't do it without being involved and invested in somebody else's life. And so I look at this passage and I realize that Paul's saying, don't go back to this. Don't go back to the Shabbat. Be aware that that's happening in your life. Be aware that there's an allure there. But what happens with this allure is that there is no meaning there. As Augustine said, our hearts are restless till they find their rest in thee. We have this God-shaped hole in our lives that we try to feel in Ecclesiastes. He talks about uh, that he went through everything. He went through hedonism. He went through intellectualism. He went through materialism. Nothing satisfied. All was empty and vain. Because this God-shaped hole in our hearts is only best satisfied by God himself. It's not satisfied in the law. Because the law is us. It's satisfied in grace because that is him. Being aware of that. Knowing that isolation is the tendency And so we move toward community, move toward joining a small group, move toward investing in somebody else's life, getting together for coffee and and investing in somebody else's life, and begin to have spiritual conversations about Christ so that Christ is formed in you. That's what he encourages the Galatians believers, and that's what he encourages for us. We need it in our day. Father, we come to you this morning... And we thank you for Paul's words to us this morning, for your words through the Apostle Paul to us this morning, how you stir our hearts, you convict our hearts, how easy it is to try to live by law instead of by grace. Help us not to go back to the chevet of the Christian life, but to embrace the... pickup truck. Father, to embrace Jesus, to embrace your grace through him who lived for us and died for us and rose again for us and is alive in the heavens. Father, thank you that you didn't leave us without your word, that you didn't leave us without understanding of your grace, Lord, I pray for those this morning that may be here and, and have not have responded to your grace yet. I pray that they would respond to your gentle urging, tuggings at their heart. I pray that they would simply tell you that they believe in Jesus, and they would receive Jesus as their Savior, just like you said in John. But as many as received Him to them he gave the right to be called children of God. I am a child of God because I believed in Jesus. Father, I pray for them as well. Lord, I pray for all of us that you would help us to notice those isolating tendencies of those around us, of ourselves, of those who try to isolate us so that we will only believe what they believe. But that we would stay engaged in the community of believers who will challenge that, who will help us to not be isolated, but to be engaged in one another. It's essential for us, for the church in the next generation, for the church in the future, for us not to isolate and move apart, but to stay together, to move together, to have a unity of believers, a unity in the midst of our diversity. Father, I pray. I pray for the church. In America, especially the church in the world, as it moves away, as attendance decreases, as people forget that you created the church for a reason. Father, I pray that you would draw us to yourself first and then draw us to one another. Grow us in your grace. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.